Last week we talked about how trials and tribulations are very different than temptations, and it, it simply works like this. Trials and tribulations, in most cases, need to be embraced. We need to embrace them. Temptations must be rejected. So it's so important that, if, that we understand the difference and what we're going to be looking at this morning is the whole issue of temptation. And James gives us some wonderful insights into how to deal with temptation and um, what to go about it. So we'll be covering that. But before I, before I go there, I have around some of the stuff done a number of workshops in different places overseas. So I start off with this question. So I'm going to do it here. And you're free to respond. So the, I'm going to ask you to put up your hand. Put up your hand anybody here who would have no concern or objection if we put up all your thoughts for the last 24 hours up on the screen here for everybody to read. Is there, is there anybody here that would have no concerns about that at all? Nobody. Okay, well, in all my time of doing this, only one guy once put up his hand. And I, I thought, wow, that's incredible. And I said to him, you're the first one that has ever put up your hand to that situation. And he said, well, you know, it would be embarrassing. But he said, I'd go through it because I'd love to read everyone else's. <laughs> so, so he got full marks for that, actually. I thought it would be very good. But don't worry, God's not going to do that to you. But that is a big point in my whole message, it's not our thoughts that are the problem in the initial stages. And we need to hang on to that for everybody, and I'll, I'll develop this a little bit. So we'll go to James chapter 1, uh, to verse 13. So it says, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt anybody. So right here is the difference between trials and tribulations which come upon us and may even be sent by God for us to embrace and to mature. Um, but God never brings temptation to anybody. Verse 14, but each one is tempted when he, was, he is carried away and enticed by his own lust. Then, when lust has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. Verse 15 is so important because the keys are in there. When lust has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. So it's important that we see the progression here. First, the temptation comes to our mind and our thoughts. And, you know, we would honestly get a shock if we realized how many of our thoughts are not our thoughts at all. They're just placed into our head. My son Carl makes an amazing statement. He said, what a powerful tool the enemy has he can speak to us in our own voice. Think about that. Quite often you think it is you having these thoughts 
and you may even condemn yourself and say this is horrible and this is ugly when it's actually the enemy putting the thoughts into your head but he uses your own voice, the sound that you know in your head to do it. And that's one of his most powerful weapons. So the issue is not initially what thought is in our head, but when the trouble starts is in verse 15, when we allow these thoughts to be conceived. First, the temptation comes into our mind. That's our thoughts. We all have desires that are ungodly. Now listen to this. We all have thoughts that are ungodly. Listen to this. Even Jesus did. Hebrews 4.15 says that Jesus was tempted in all things. How did the enemy tempt Jesus? By putting thoughts into his head. Jump off this cliff. God will send angels to protect you. These are the thoughts that come in the head. I don't know. Maybe it's only me, but I've talked to enough people about this. Sometimes you're driving along and the thought will come, just drive off the road, just drive off this bridge, just crash into the car coming the other way. And you think, my gosh, what's going on with me? Nothing. It's the enemy. Even Jesus was tempted in all things. But there's a huge difference between what Jesus did with these thoughts and what most of us struggle with in this area. So the trouble starts when this lust is conceived. So lust only becomes action when it has conceived. So follow the process. Sorry if I sound repetitive, but this is important. Sin is first conceived in our mind, in our thought life. At that point, it's not a problem. But when the temptation is whirring away and we entertain it, if we continue to entertain it, entertain it, it will ultimately give birth to sin. Now, what I do want to say about evil desires and thoughts, you might want to check what you're feeding your mind on. That's important. What you're watching on TV, what you're reading, what you're thinking about, what you're putting into yourself will affect a lot of these things. Now, remember the statement because so much of it, not all of it, but so much of it comes through our eyes. Once we've seen something, we can't unsee it. Once we've seen something, we can't unsee it. The problem here is that once we allow something to enter our being in whatever way, it now has the power of repeating itself to us. Do you hear what I'm saying here? Once we've taken it into our being, we can't unsee it. Now it has the power of repeating itself to us. So the real issue is not the thoughts themselves, but what we do with them. And if we don't deal with them immediately, they can and often will inevitably lead us to sinful actions. So, and this is here's back to Jesus. 
we have to train ourselves. And Jesse's three sessions are very helpful that he did before he went away here. We have to train ourselves to discern our thoughts and eject those ones immediately that are ungodly. We can't stop them coming in, but we can deal with them when they do. And we see Jesus' wonderful example when he was in the wilderness, throw yourself off a cliff. That is not of God. And what does Jesus do? He quotes scripture back, both to himself and to the enemy. It's important we do that. We're not just quoting scripture back to deal with the enemy. We're quoting it to ourselves. And that's why it is so important that we are constantly soaking ourselves in the word of God. So we have that power to call on in those situations. See, if we don't deal with these thoughts, the statement is here that desire becomes action. Edwin Lewis Cole makes this statement. Sin always promises to serve and please, but in reality it always enslaves and dominates. Sin always promises to serve and please, but in reality it always enslaves and dominates. The consequences of sin are never worth any short-lived pressure they may bring to us, never. See, have you ever wanted to do something that you know you shouldn't, but you justified it in your mind? And Dennis Peacock makes this well-known statement, the mind justifies what the heart has desired. I read a book years and years ago written by a Jewish Christian. I forget his name now. But he basically turned around and said, if we want something bad enough, our conscience will link with our mind and will justify why we should have it even if it is evil. Our mind will justify it. Have you ever wanted something that you know you shouldn't have and you build a case for it in your mind and then when you get hold of it and things all go sour, you say, I knew I shouldn't have done that. But you've built such a case because as we entertain these things in our heart, our mind will build a case for it because we're carrying in our being until Christ returns, both the redeemed nature and the fallen nature. You all understand that. It's so important. So I want to give you some helpful hints because unless we recognize this and unless we deal with this, and by the way, unless we get out of the condemnation that we may be having because of our thoughts and instead take action over it, our Christian life may be pretty miserable. Going through guilt, condemnation, repentance, and round and round and round these cycles. And that's what, not what Jesus came to bring us. So let me give you some helpful hints. The first one is don't try and predict where sin will come from. It has its own level of intelligence. 
The devil knows most things about you. He certainly knows your strengths and your weaknesses and your places of vulnerability, and we all have them. Don't try and predict it. It often comes from the least likely source you would ever think of, and that becomes the real danger. Second point, please. Don't wander around this planet in a sin focused mode that will rob you of all the joy of all the beauty of all the things lovely Philippians 4.8 which Jesse talked on all the wonderful things that are happening out there every day and they are I have always loved photography and recently I've just got back into it again after a long absence here's what I enjoy when I stop to take a photo I've got to contemplate what I'm about to take the photo of. And I'm finding to my amazement, I'm seeing things I always used to miss. Now, I mainly take photos of landscapes and wildlife. And I've always loved those things. But when you've got to stop and pause, and we spoke about it this morning with communion, thank you, and ponder on these things, suddenly you see a whole lot of things that we're blissfully going on through life and missing. It's important to do that. There's a whole message in there. I don't have time to go there this morning. But don't live in a sin-conscious life. Remember what Jesus said to his disciples. They came back empowered, and they'd just done a whole lot of deliverance, and they're very excited about it, and they're telling Jesus about all the demons they cast out and all of that. And he has said this. He said, I have just seen Satan fall from heaven like lightning, saying that now everybody in Christ is empowered to defeat him. But then note what he says afterwards. But he says, don't rejoice in these things. Rejoice in what? That your name is written in the book of life. Don't rejoice in evil and even your ability to deal with evil and overcome it. Rejoice in the things of Jesus. Let's walk around this world. I hope if you see one another in the street, there is something special when you see somebody who is a brother or sister in Christ. You say, there is my brother or there is my sister in Christ. I honestly feel that every time I see one of you and many other Christian friends I have all over the world. Rejoice in those things and the beauty and the wonder and everything of what God has created. We are not called to be sin-focused. Jesus certainly wasn't. God loves what he's made and wants us to enjoy it. Next point, watch your strengths. Most of us guard our weaknesses better than we guard our strength. But most of the biblical characters who got into trouble got into trouble when their strengths were exploited need to hear that Satan knows how to exploit our strengths as well as our weaknesses guard your strengths and the final point and I am going to focus a lot more on this this morning because here's the key you want to be free here's the key don't resist sin teach yourself to hate it don't resist sin teach yourself yourself to hate it. See, God hates sin. 
because it separates us from him and he longs to have an intimate, personal and joyful relationship with us. But it also affects our relationship with those around us. If your anger is out of control, you're not going to be fun for your family. If your work ethic's out of control, you're not going to be fun for your employer or employees. And on this story goes. So important. But one of the main other reasons is God hates sin because it enslaves people in a terrible way. It really does. See, the key to freedom is not to spend all our time and energy resisting sin, but it's learning to hate it. And the Bible calls us to hate it. Here's just a couple of scriptures. Romans 12, 9, Proverbs 8, 13. So our freedom comes from hating sin and our hatred for it overcomes any desires we may have for it. So I'm going to talk about one of the male plagues that is all over the body of Christ today everywhere and that is the issue of pornography. I can only speak from male because I'm not a female. But pornography is in epidemic proportions in the body of Christ. It's going after leaders and young males and people everywhere. Now, here's what we need to understand, and I'm no expert on any of this stuff, but here's what we need to understand. Most sin, and now we're talking about pornography this morning, most sin comes first with a desire God has given us and perverts it. So as males, we are wired by God to be physically attractive to the female form. You can repent of all of that and fall over on the ground and wail or cry and do what you like, but you can't change God's design. So as males, we need to come to grips with that. God designed us that way deliberately. He chose to. He actually wants us to rejoice in it. So along comes the enemy and creates pornography, knowing that initially he's got hold of a power that God has given to males in this case, Females may have the same issue. The ladies can talk about that. But males in this case, out of a God-given desire, and he perverts it. Now, here's one of the keys about hating sin. If you first consider the horror of pornography to the people on the other end of it, the women, the young girls, all the abuses, everything that's happening, while people sit back behind and make millions or billions of dollars out of it and ruin the lives of these predominantly young women. It's a tragedy. I'm a father and a grandfather. And even as I'm talking to you now, my anger for pornography and against pornography overcomes any desire I would ever have to look at it. I hate it with a passion and I wouldn't want my daughter or my grandchildren exploited in this way and what I have to do is contain my anger not to go behind the scenes and find the people behind them and beat the living daylights out of them and I mean it. I mean it. Don't bring that stuff around me. 
I mean, uh, you'll push a button very different than what desire is in me. See, that's how we get free. I carry that hate for that stuff everywhere I go and I don't have a problem and nor have I ever had with pornography because I hate it with such a passion. I know many Christians who don't drink and any Christian who doesn't want to drink for whatever reason, that's wonderful because they saw alcohol ravage and abuse their family. And they hate it. I've got a very good Christian friend. Now, by the way, I enjoy a glass of wine. I enjoy alcohol. And as far as I know, as far back as I can go, there's been no alcohol abuse in my family whatsoever. But I have a very close Christian friend who hates alcohol because of what he suffered and him and his family growing up because of the curse of alcohol that got into their family. He is never going to have a drink and he's never going to have a drink problem. Why? Because he hates it. See, our key to being free is not resisting sin. If you're fasting for a day, don't wander around the food places and think, I must not eat, I must not eat, I must not eat. (laughs) Chances are you'll jump into the first one and eat more than you normally eat in a whole day. That's not how you beat that stuff, guys. Here's what we have to do. I'm not eating today because I'm focusing on the wonder of Jesus and the life that flows from him and all of those things. And then you may even be able to walk past a food shop and say, no, 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 I'm onto a much better food today, which is what Jesus said to the woman at the well. See, that's the key. God hates sin. He does not hate the sinner. He's not capable of hating the sinner, but he hates sin. So it's never a temptation to him. We need to embrace that. 2 Corinthians 10.5. My glasses are having the lenses upgraded, so I'm on a $2 pair from the shop down the road so I've got to take them on and off because otherwise I can't see you when I look up 2 Corinthians 10.5 we are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of Christ and here we go guys we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ spirit empowered believers must capture every thought and yield it to the obedience of Christ. So if you're driving your car over a bridge and the voice says, just drive the car off the bridge under the water, you just say, I am not that stupid. God has put more wisdom in me than that. You can say I rebuke that thought in Jesus' name if you want. There's power in that. But you get back to a reasonable level of reality. We have got to discern, where did that thought come from? Now, I've never been suicidal in my life, so I know it didn't come from me. And at that point, we need to deal with it. We capture our fantasies and our desires when we honestly admit them to the Lord and ask Him to redirect our thinking. We disempower them, and here's another powerful tool, guys. We disempower them when we confess them to somebody else and pick the person wisely, somebody you love and trust in the Lord. 
we disempower them when we confess them to somebody else because most sin is disempowered when it's brought into the light. Sin thrives in darkness. It thrives in the hidden realms of life when nobody knows what we're doing, what's going on, whatever. Bringing sin into the light disempowers most sin. The cross of Calvary was a once-for-all final payment for sin, and all who have accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Saviour has got the power and authority over sin. But our problem is this. Until Jesus returns or we go and be with him, we both have a fallen nature and a redeemed nature. And I've said this so many times, but I'm going to say it once again. Whenever you ask the question, what is the most powerful? Everybody quotes 1 John 1 verse 4, which says, Greater is he who is in me than he is in the world. And is that right? Yes, but it's the wrong answer. What is the right answer of what is most powerful in me, my redeemed nature or my fallen nature? What is the right answer, guys? Which one I feed the most? There's the answer right there. The most powerful guiding force in my life between the Holy Spirit and the fallen nature is which one I feed the most. Now, is the Holy Spirit more powerful? Not even a question, not even a competition from God's perspective, but a major one between you and I. That's why we have to feed ourselves on the Word of God constantly and regularly because Hebrews 4.12 says it discerns the thoughts and actions and things and, and, and it cuts right through the flesh and the spirit and it shows us what is going on so that when those thoughts come into our head we know what's godly and what isn't and we have the power then to deal with it just as Jesus demonstrated because if we don't they will conceive and when they conceive they give birth to sin it's a process guys Most people who have fallen into sin contemplated it for quite a period of time before they did it. It's so important we understand that. Don't condemn yourself because of your thoughts. Deal with them. And if they are godly thoughts, enjoy them. If you go home or to some friend's place looking forward to a meal, that's a very godly thought. Do it. Then enjoy eating it. Try not to overeat, but enjoy eating it. But if it's an ungodly thought, deal with it. We've been empowered to do that. You know what? And we're back again, and I'm getting towards the end, and I'm going to tell you a story. We're back again to the situation where the enemy picks up what God's trying to do and perverts it. And so we often talk about the scripture that says we have been transformed from one degree of glory to another. God's always looking to take us into a higher level in our knowledge and understanding of who he is. And the enemy's always enticing us, saying, come up here, I will get you to a higher level if you do this and this and this. Here is the remarkable difference 
When the devil elevates anyone to a certain place, their life becomes a spiritual... I'm reading this because I wrote it down from an author I was reading. Their life becomes a spiritual acrobatic performance, like being on a high wire. They cling to it, trying to maintain their balance and always worry about falling off. But when God elevates you by his grace into heavenly places you find a vast plateau where you can move about in freedom and with ease. I love that. I love that. If the enemy says to you, betray the person in the next desk up from you at work and you'll get their job, frequently when you get it, what are you worried about? Well, I know none of you would know. You've never done that. But those people who do that are always worried that someone's going to come and do the same thing to them. But if you let God promote you, you're on a wide open plateau when you're walking in freedom with where he's allowed you to be. So I want to finish with what you might say is a silly little story, but it's very true. So this husband comes home. There was nobody in this room. This husband comes home to his wife and his family after a day's work and his wife's cooked these muffins. It's not long before tea time and they're sitting on the windowsill cooling. So he has a look and she's busying herself doing other things so he sneaks one and eats it. So he thinks, wow, that was nice. So he has another look and his wife's getting dinner on the table and everything so he sneaks the second one and eats it. So he's feeling very pleased with himself. So he sits down to the dinner table with his wife and two kids and the Holy Spirit begins to convict him and says, you need to confess that. Now, like me, I would say, you've got to be joking. In fact, he might have even said, I rebuke that in Jesus' name. (laughs) But this thought's going on in his head, so he thinks, oh, come on, okay. So he says to his family, okay, everybody, I've got something I need to confess. So they all stop, and he confesses and says, look, says to his wife, when you were setting the table, I stole a muffin and ate it. Then he said, I looked at you to see what you were doing, and you weren't watching, so I ate a second one. So his wife stares at him in amazement and then bursts out laughing as though he's gone quite mad. So he finds this more humiliating. Firstly, the Holy Spirit tells him to confess this so-called sin. And secondly, when he finally does confess it, his wife thinks he's crazy and just bursts out laughing at the table. But here's the twist. See, his six-year-old daughter gets up and runs out of the room crying and runs off to her bedroom. And they think, wow, what's wrong with her? So they go into the bedroom and sit down with her. And she had stolen some money from the neighbor's place. And she was feeling so guilty and condemned and horrible about it and didn't know what to do about it. And she is suffering and she's in pain. So the Holy Spirit pushes the button. God has a sense of humor, pushes the button on the husband (laughs) Because what is God interested in? He wants to free the little girl from her condemnation and anguish so she can walk freely in him. 
So they cleaned up the whole situation and everybody got on fire. See, God's not on our case, brothers and sisters. God's not wandering around with a big stick wanting to whack us for our sin. What God is trying to do is say, there's something in your life that's blocking you from getting to know me better and blocking you from relating better to your brothers and sisters and those around you. Come to me. I've paid the price for it. Come to me and I'll empower you to be free. That's who God is. That's who God is. Sin is our enemy because it separates us from God and God doesn't want anything from separating us from him. He loves us too much and he wants to have a wonderful, joyous relationship with us as he commissions us to the things he's called us to do. That's why we need to be ruthless with sin and focus on him. Let us pray. Father, we want to thank you for the power you have given us to walk free from sin. And Lord, I know this message is important and we need to know the tools you've given us to deal with it. But Father, I know also this is not your focus and nor do you want it to be ours. You want us to walk in freedom and a loving relationship with you and the people that you've put us around us so we can reflect your glory in every aspect of life. Help us to do that, Father, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Peter. Thank you, Bruce. Fantastic.